Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Patrick Myers, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We're both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're here to break down and discuss the compliance challenges that employers are facing with respect to their group health plans. Today, we're going to start with a quick update on vaccine mandates and vaccine surcharges, and then we'll get into what employers should be considering when it comes to end-of-year items relating to the pandemic. Chase, to begin with, can you give us a quick update on vaccines and vaccine mandates? particularly on uh, the Biden administration's requirements for employers with 100 or more employees to ensure employees are vaccinated or are tested regularly? Yeah, thank you, Patrick. And I know the last two podcasts, we've focused heavily on the vaccines and particularly on that vaccine mandate from the Biden administration. On that mandate from Biden, we are still awaiting OSHA guidance. So we've talked about in the past, OSHA is the agency within the government that has to publish the guidance here, and we're waiting for that. So no new updates there, um, but I did want to hit that right up front. Um, If you want to hear more about employer considerations, just sort of things to think about ahead of the mandate, um, or the potential for legal challenges to the guidance and the mandate, which we're already hearing some about, (laughs) uh, listen in on those two podcasts, just the two episodes directly before this one. Uh, But for now, we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs. I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately, to know when that guidance will come. Have you heard anything on that front, Patrick? No, I haven't heard anything specifically. So unfortunately, we're just in a holding pattern right now, kind of waiting for that uh, guidance to come down, probably at 4.55 on a Friday afternoon, right? Right. But that said, when it comes to vaccine surcharges, didn't we get some new guidance on the surcharges this last week? Yes, uh, we do have a bit of an update there, and we have spoken about this on past podcasts, um, and we will be including an article in our Compliance Corner, which is our biweekly newsletter that goes out, and so that'll be up at nfp.com later today on this guidance. But basically, uh, the agencies published guidance last week in the form of FAQs. They love doing it in FAQ format, and honestly, I don't mind it either because we have specific FAQ numbers to refer to you. Uh, But in Q3 of the FAQs, the department's basically confirmed that a group health plan is permitted to offer participants a premium discount for receiving a COVID-19 vaccination if, there's always a big if, if the design of the program complies with the federal wellness program rules. And we've talked about those in the past and what they are primarily under HIPAA, uh, but they really fall, the rules really fall into three buckets And the first, or or laws, I guess we could break it up like that. And there are additional considerations, but these are the three primary laws. The HIPAA wellness plan rules applicable to health contingent activity only wellness programs. And they sort of confirmed that that is the type of program a vaccine surcharge would would be considered. So that's the first bucket is those HIPAA wellness program rules. The second is the Americans with Disabilities Act or the ADA. And then the third is the ACA's employer mandate rules on affordability, because if you're changing the amount that you're charging employees, that could impact the affordability calculations, at least for the larger employers out there that are subject to that employer mandate. 
So the FAQs here really address the first and third buckets, but not the second, not that ADA bucket. While the guidance says that a vaccine surcharge would be okay if the HIPAA and affordability guidance is followed, it does not address ADA as much. So that's why we kind of come back to, even with this confirmation that you can do it under HIPAA and the ACA, we're still advising clients to go to outside counsel um, if you want to do a, a vaccine surcharge because of that unclarity that still remains under the ADA. But basically to, to highlight what the FAQs actually say, they confirm that the four biggest HIPAA rules have to be satisfied. And those four are this, that the surcharge cannot exceed 30% of the single only premium. So there's a limit there. A reasonable alternative has to be offered to those who are not or cannot get vaccinated. Um, that's the second. The third is that the full surcharge has to be removed for the year if the reasonable alternative is met. And then the fourth is that a wellness notice is included in all plan related materials. And that notice sort of has to describe the alternative. And so what can the reasonable alternative be? That's the biggest part here. If I have someone who does not is not vaccinated, how do I deal with that? Well, the rules say uh, that I have to offer that reasonable alternative and that can include a waiver or an attestation that the vaccine is unreasonable or inadvisable due to a medical condition or a religious objection. And the employer can require the employee to agree to mask recommendations. So the alternative can kind of be a test that there's some reason you can't get the vaccine and then you have to wear a mask at work per CDC guidelines. Um, and so if the, if the employer does, uh, offers that, they have to have that alternative available. And then remember, as I mentioned, if an employee satisfies that alternative, they have to have that surcharge removed for the entire year. Well, certainly good to have that official confirmation to underscore the guidance that we've been providing on this issue over the last couple of months, at least as far as it relates to HIPAA. Now, is there anything that the guidance has said that's definitely off the table? Yes. Q4 of the FAQs clarifies that while there is this exception prohibition on discrimination based on a health factor for these compliant wellness programs, if you follow those, those rules under HIPAA, that exception cannot be used to deny eligibility for benefits or coverage based on a health factor or based on vaccine status is really what we're saying here. So the wellness plan exception applies only to premium discounts and similar cost sharing modifications. It does not apply to something like eligibility. We've had that question come in. May an employer condition eligibility for the group health plan itself on vaccination status? We always thought the answer was no. Um, because that felt a lot like discrimination and going a little bit too far by excluding them completely from the group health plan. And this FAQ confirms that. Okay. I think that's a pretty good segue into our primary topic today, which is pandemic-related end-of-year compliance obligations. Now, the primary question I think is this. Is there any specific COVID or pandemic notice that must be distributed to employees particularly as we approach open enrollment, at least for the calendar year plans? Yes. Um, well, to begin with, there is no specific COVID or pandemic notice that must be distributed as we approach the end of the calendar year. Uh, open enrollment for calendar year plans or even the end of the pandemic, if we ever get there, right, officially. We did just get through the ARPA COBRA subsidies. I wanted to mention that really quickly. Uh, there was an end of subsidy notice that should have gone out to those that were receiving the subsidy, and that should have gone out by September 15th, 2021. That's almost a month ago. 
uh, now. So we know that those subsidies ended on September 30th. There was that notice uh, requirement to let people know it was ending before. If that notice didn't go out, um, send that as soon as you can. And it may feel late and even obsolete at this point, but there are penalties associated with not distributing those notices. And so uh, get those out as soon as you can, work with your administrator. So I wanted to mention that really quick, but beyond that, since we're just talking about vaccine surcharges, we were just talking about that and the related HIPAA requirements, I mentioned that notice requirement. So if the employer is implementing some type of COVID-19 vaccine surcharge program, the employer has to satisfy that notice requirement. That notice has to go out with all plan-related information. So that would include open enrollment materials um, and open enrollment materials, as we know, describe the group health plan and the costs associated with it, including any premiums or adjustments to premiums for employees. So that's the additional item for HIPAA wellness programs and that vaccine surcharge. Just get that notice in the open enrollment materials. Okay. So what other COVID or pandemic related notices or items should be considered for employers coming into their open enrollment period? Yeah, and this one, there's kind of two buckets here. I, I like the bucket analogy today, maybe because it's a little bit rainy today. Buckets of rain. <laughs> um, great Bob Dylan song, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the first bucket is really uh, whether, you know, pandemic-related changes that were optional. And then the second bucket uh, we'll talk about were, were mandatory changes. But the first bucket is optional. Does the employer sponsor a health FSA or dependent care FSA, like a DCAP program? And if so, did the employer adopt any of the available temporary relief provisions coming out of the Consolidated Appropriations Act? Um, those would include extended grace periods or unlimited carryovers that employees would need to be aware of. Um, if the answer is yes there, then those should be communicated to employees. Uh, so that's just the idea of, you know, anything related to the plan that might impact employees. You want to let employees know about that. But again, there's no specific notice. It's just letting them know of the changes you would other changes in the open enrollment materials. Also, while not an employee notice requirement, some of those changes required a plan amendment. Uh, and that, again, it, it depends on the actual adopted change in the plan year to which it relates. But as a few examples, uh, because we have this come up a lot if uh, the health FSA allowed an extended grace period, so that's the period uh, uh, they could go up to 12 months with, or an unlimited carryover, the plan amendment had to be adopted by, uh, has to be adopted by December 31st, 2021. That would be for a plan year ending in 2020. So it's usually uh, the plan year, uh, the end of the plan year after which uh, the, the, the change is adopted. So for plan years that end in 2021, uh, the amendment would have to occur by December 31st of 2022. Um, as another example, if a calendar year plan allowed optional section 125 election changes, um, this was allowed temporarily for plan years that end in 2021. The plan amendment has to be adopted by December 31st of 2022. So you can kind of see this trail of a year that you have to get those amendments done. Um, but again, not necessarily employee notices, but something to consider when it comes to the end of a plan year, depending on the actual change made to the plan. So some of those changes were optional, as you alluded to, but other changes are mandatory. So what about those mandatory changes? 
anything to consider here at the year's end? Yeah. So that's the other bucket there. Employers have to ask themselves uh, whether the open enrollment materials reflect the mandatory deadline extensions under the COVID-19 extensions of timeframes. That's the relief guidance applicable to uh, a few things, including HRA and FSA runout periods, COBRA notice extensions, um, ERISA claim filing and appeal deadlines, and also timeframes to notify the plan of a HIPAA special enrollment event, like a birth of a child, a marriage, or a loss of coverage under another group health plan. So we know that uh, under that guidance, the normal deadlines are generally told um, until the earlier of one year. That's kind of the default. We say anything that happens, you basically have a year grace period and then the clock starts again. Um, or 60 days after the declared end of the COVID-19 national emergency. And we have not seen that yet. So we're just kind of advising, use the 12 months, the one year sort of delay or uh, tolling, and then uh, go forward. So again, this is something that should be outlined and employees should be aware of. Uh, there is uh, not a specific notice or language that goes in there. It's something that's blessed. It would be nice if we had that and just kind of a plug and play. Uh, but just that idea of administering the plan with those uh, extensions in mind and then uh, including it in any open enrollment materials to help employees understand they have that. Usually for like a COBRA notice that would go out, you know, you kind of explain it in the COBRA notice. Um, but just that idea of trying to get employees uh, awareness up on what the extensions relate to. Right, right. And since we haven't had that, there hasn't been a declared end of the COVID-19 national emergency. So usually looking for that one year anniversary deadline date. Right. Right. So is there anything else we need to keep in mind? Yeah. So one that we keep getting asked about uh, relates to HSA eligibility and telehealth. Um, so if the employer sponsors a high deductible health plan, and they're coupling that with HSA program, either through employer or employee pre-tax contributions, which is usually the case with the high deductible plan. Um, there was the safe harbor uh, enacted under the CARES Act, um, which again is pandemic related legislation. And that CARES Act sort of temporarily allowed telehealth services uh, to not impact HSA eligibility adversely. So normally, if you have coverage that is sort of picking up expenses underneath the high deductible plans deductible, that will disqualify you from HSA eligibility. Telehealth is one of those things um, that can do that. Um, has in the past been a problematic with HSA eligibility. Um, so we have this temporary safe harbor that basically says for, um, you know, until uh, basically through 2021 or the plan year, uh, that started in 2021, um, you can disregard that telehealth. It's not going to make you HSA ineligible. And so right now, though, that is only through the end of this plan year, right? And so for calendar year plans, essentially January 1, 2022, if there's telehealth coverage, um, it's going to make somebody HSA ineligible, so employers will need to ensure that anyone enrolled in telehealth coverage and also participates in the high deductible health plan um, or HSA plan does not receive employer HSA contributions and cannot contribute pre-tax via the employer's cafeteria or section 125 plan. 
Um, so we've seen confusion on this. So like, to what extent is the employer responsible for ensuring that employees are HSA eligible? And the answer is really that while the employer doesn't have to account for all other coverages that the employee might have, like through a spouse or some other source, the employer does have to be aware of what's under its own purview. So to explain kind of a personal example, if, if I'm enrolled in NFP's high deductible plan, but I'm also enrolled in NFP's general purpose FSA or general purpose HRA, those are both impermissible coverage for HSA purposes. NFP should be aware that I have that HSA disqualifying coverage and therefore NFP shouldn't be contributing to my HSA or allowing me to contribute to my HSA pre-tax through NFP's section 125 plan. So just being aware of that um, and knowing that that telehealth uh, sort of safe harbor or, or temporary exception is ending. Um, we hope Congress extends this. <laughs> it's been a great thing for 2021. I think we all applauded it. We all love it. It allows for a lot of flexibility. We've heard that it's being discussed by Congress, but no guarantees at this point. And because employers are you know, sort of right now prepping for renewals and open enrollment, they'll have to do so under the assumption that telehealth is problematic for HSA eligibility going into 2022. Uh, but we'll wait and see if Congress does something uh, later in the year to help with that. Thanks, Chase. Now, our listeners to our podcast are attentive and intelligent, but we've just thrown them a lot of information. <laughs> Is there, are there other resources that we have that are available to assist them with all of this? Yes. And I know this is a lot. And sometimes we get a little bit technical and, and stuff on the podcast. Um, but we do have some great resources to assist with this. The best one uh, for, for those optional versus mandatory pandemic changes. I mentioned, you know, some of the communications that should be done there and the plan amendments. We have a document called Optional Versus Mandatory Quick Reference Chart for Pandemic-Related Changes, and that kind of outlines sort of those dates I was talking about for the plan amendment and then re-highlights which uh, items were optional, which were mandatory, and what other compliance obligations go along there. So that's available on the nfp.com latest insights page for anyone. If you're an NFP client, reach out to your NFP broker or account team. They can, they can get it to you. We've also updated our FAQ that we published on the vaccine surcharges uh, with that new uh, FAQ guidance from the government that we just discussed. So that's out there as well. Same spot with NFP.com uh, latest insights. And we'll continue to monitor the vaccine mandate information. That's the OSHA guidance, the Biden's, uh, Biden administration's vaccine mandate. Whenever OSHA publishes that guidance, we'll have info uh, via our own FAQ document on our latest insights page. So keep an eye out for all of that, uh, but hopefully those resources will sort of help solidify some of the things we've talked about today. Right. And we will try our best to keep everyone up to date as soon as we learn of developments. Uh, we'll get that out to everyone as soon as we can. So thanks, Chase. And thanks, everyone, for joining us today. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us.